The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. Nourish your mind with a premium digital subscription with the Irish Times and enjoy 12 months free access to the Headspace app. Visit irishtimes.com. Terms and conditions apply. It's Thursday, October the 17th, and you are very welcome to yet another emergency Brexit edition of the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. On the line from Brussels is our political editor, Pat Leahy, and also in Brussels, our London editor, Dennis Staunton. And the reason for that, of course, is that this morning, EU and UK negotiators agreed a final deal that would allow the UK to leave the European Union, possibly by the October 31st deadline, if ratified. That's more than three years after the UK voted initially to leave the EU. And under this plan, there won't be a customs border on the island of Ireland. Northern Ireland will remain in the UK Customs Union after Brexit, but the North will be subject to EU customs rules and the oversight of EU authorities and regulatory and customs checks and controls will take place at ports on the Irish Sea on goods moving from Britain to Northern Ireland. Have you got all that? Well, just one more thing. In regard to consent, this agreement proposes the Assembly in Northern Ireland will be provided the opportunity for democratic consent and that these arrangements will come into effect four years from the end of the transition period uh, next year, December the 31st. In other words, in the, towards the end of 2024, uh, there will be, uh, the Assembly will vote by a simple, simple majority uh, on that issue. So it's that provision in particular which apparently has caused the Democratic Unionist Party to say that it will be voting against the agreement when it's brought before the House of Commons this Saturday. So plenty to digest there. Um, Dennis, I'm going to go straight to you on that last point. You know, they say that the most important thing in politics is knowing how to count. Has Boris Johnson counted his votes in the House of Commons on Saturday and what might those numbers be? I don't think they look very good because without the DUP, uh, he's likely to lose some of the Conservative Brexiteers, at least a handful of them. And uh, he's trying to persuade uh, most of the uh, the Conservatives who were expelled from the party or on the Remainer wing to support it. But he's still going to need a large number of Labour MPs and uh, you know up to maybe two dozen of them. And none of the estimates that we've had so far would suggest that, uh, that those numbers are there. And what he's trying to do to persuade them is to say that the in the political declaration that uh, he's got protections for workers' rights and that these so-called level playing field commitments to maintaining certain standards that they're uh, you know that they're kind of higher than perhaps they would have feared but what the labor people are saying in return is this is written into the non-binding political declaration not into the treaty-based withdrawal agreement and we don't trust you and so he's going to struggle I think to get those numbers without the DUP one hope that they have in London is that there might be some message coming out of Brussels tonight saying that if uh, Britain asks for an extension of its membership of the European Union, that they'll say no. Again, I'm hearing that that's unlikely to come, certainly from the council as a group. Uh, what we don't know is that if one or other of the leaders will actually say that they will uh, not agree to an extension and you need uh, unanimity to agree that. So if one says they're not going to, you know, whether that would offer cover for Labour MPs who want to get this uh, thing done, want to get Brexit done, to vote for it, that's a possibility. But certainly from where we're looking now, it doesn't look like he has the numbers for Saturday. But uh, what they're hoping to do is to uh, to capitalise on the momentum that they've got now and drive into Saturday and persuade as many people as possible. 
Because, Pat, there was a little flurry of excitement on social media a couple of hours ago in the early afternoon when Jean-Claude Juncker said that uh, there was no need for a further extension, there wouldn't be a further extension. That was seen as him sending a message to London that this was uh, it was this deal or no deal. But there, were, there was a lot of rowing back on that. It's not his call. It's the call of the individual governments, as Dennis says. And, and some of those governments, I saw a statement, I think, from a Danish minister saying that they would, uh, in certain circumstances, certainly grant an extension. Yeah, and I asked Leo Varadkar this specifically when he was going into the council and he wouldn't be drawn on it. I mean, you can see, of course, why Boris Johnson would like them to do it to kind of create this do or die cliff edge vote that people will actually have to choose that the, the third option of delay would be denied to them. But I think, you know, we'll see what comes out of the conclusions later later on. But the EU leaders cancel acting collectively but unanimously on this uh, on this question. They tend not to like to leave themselves with no way out. So I'd be surprised if they give Boris Johnson what he wants. You know, he, they may be happier that they can deal with him rather than with uh, Theresa May. And you could even see that in the shots from inside in the council chamber earlier on where Boris Johnson was going around shaking hands with people, clapping people on the backs, kissing his hellos to the ladies and so forth, uh, whereas Theresa May used to mope around on her own with a few leaders coming over to say hello, gingerly coming over to say hello to her out of sympathy, whereas Johnson looks like a man who is in there in the arena doing deals and that. But at the same time, I don't think the EU leaders trust him. I don't think they feel they owe him anything. They would like to get this out of the way, but they're not going to go and do it for him. It's very much over to him to get the votes in, uh, to get the votes for himself in Westminster now. And let's not forget that even if he doesn't, he is still bound by the uh, by the Ben Act. And if he doesn't, he must come. He must write a letter seeking an extension on Monday. So, uh, from his point of view, uh, I suppose he's, he's, he's far, very far from out of the woods yet. Yeah, Dennis. Before we get to that, what happens next? Um, part of things. Just to be absolutely sure, to be sure. There's no op- there's no chance at all that the DUP or even a DUP, some of the DUP would resile from the position which they've stated today, is there? And if that's the case, at what point do you know or your British contacts telling you, did the British government decide to give up on the DUP? Well, uh, first of all, the DUP always operate as a group. They have internal disputes about lots of things, but when they vote, they all vote together. They always do it that way. So there's not there's no question of any of them uh, peeling away. What appears to have happened is that when uh, the uh, the offer on uh, what to do about consent came back and particularly when it was improved after a phone call between Leo Varadkar and Boris Johnson yesterday morning, that uh, there were talks with the DUP. They initially didn't like it, and then they went in in the afternoon. And uh, on the Downing Street side, they thought that, uh, first of all, they thought it was a generous enough consent offer, and they also thought that the DUP were on board. But then, from what I understand, the DUP took soundings back in Northern Ireland, and then there was a further meeting uh, yesterday evening when they said they couldn't sign up to the deal. Then, at 6.45 this morning, the DUP put out a statement saying that they couldn't back the deal, but they were open to working with uh, Boris Johnson to see if it could be improved, and they hoped they would be able to support a deal. And then they sat there and their phone didn't ring and they didn't hear anything from Downing Street until they heard that Boris Johnson had gone out and announced that he was uh, he had sealed this deal and he was going ahead without them. And then uh, a couple of hours later, they put out a much more
more detailed statement saying why they couldn't support it and going into really very clear denunciations of uh, of all the various elements of the deal. And so there have been no talks at all. There will be no further talks, I as I understand it. I believe that there are no regrets in Downing Street over what they've done, no sense of remorse. They feel as if uh, the DUP has overplayed its hand, that they uh, had a good deal that they should have signed up to. Uh, Arlene Foster and Nigel Dodds, who have been in uh, London for the last few days, are heading back to Belfast and haven't gone so gone there already. And now it's really uh, a question of exactly how much damage the DUP can do, because what they've been saying, and it was in their statement, uh, they've also been saying it privately, is that even if this thing gets through on uh, Saturday, there's other legislation, there are other votes on uh, on the enabling legislation, and they can cause havoc. And that's what they're uh, planning to do. And what they will then do is that they will go into a general election, whenever it comes, saying that they had uh, fought for, uh, you know, for the union and they had, uh, you know, they hadn't given an inch on all of this, and that uh, and hope that they would be able to capitalise that. Because what does seem to have happened over the past couple of weeks is that they had an unexpectedly high level of pushback from their own supporters about both uh, the idea of a regulatory border in the IRC and then particularly about a customs element added to it. And then, uh, you know, they might have been able to get away with this if the consent mechanism contained a straightforward veto for them, but it it doesn't. And uh, because of that, they didn't feel they were able to sign up. So uh, Downing Street is going ahead without them. Dennis, before I go back to Pat, can I ask you, there seems to be a certain level, or am I reading this wrong, of equanimity on the side of the British government about this and about this, you know, high stakes vote, which will take place on Saturday, which, you know, the likelihood is that they won't win. Are we into another stage of a of a cunning plan here, a move to uh, to still to an election, but an election in a situation where getting Brexit done means getting this agreement agreed by a new House of Commons majority? Yes, I think that uh, what their attitude is, is that they're certainly uh, you know, going to try to get the deal through and they have been wooing uh, people on various sides of the house over the past few hours and they're going to try to, to get the deal through on Saturday. If they fail to get it through on Saturday, what then happens is that the Ben Act kicks in so that they have to ask for an extension. They may go to court to try to uh, to avoid that, but in the end they're going to have to ask for it. And then they will try to get their general election and they will then say that one way or another, with a deal or without a deal or whatever way it happens, they are going to get uh, take Britain out of the European Union. Of course, this is now the deal. And if they do get a majority and if they fight an election, it will have to be on the basis that this was the best way to leave the European Union. Andrew, welcome back. We did take a little break there because in the middle of our conversation, Leo Varadkar appeared for a press conference. Uh, Dennis Staunton has now gone off to attend Boris Johnson's press conference. Uh, But Pat is still on the line. Pat, what did the Taoiseach have to say? Not a whole heap, um, to be honest, Hugh. Uh, It was a a, a four-headed press conference. Uh, Donald Tusk was there, Jean-Claude Juncker uh, was there, Michel Barnier was there, and Leo Varadkar uh, was there. And uh, the Taoiseach stressed that from the Irish point of view, he didn't dwell hugely on the compromise that the Irish sides may have made, but he said that the agreement uh, fulfills all of the Irish requirements. And chief among those, of course, is there would be no hardening of the border in Ireland, which, of course, had looked uh, quite likely just uh, a couple of weeks ago. And 
I suppose even though this didn't come out in the uh, in the questions at the press conference, effectively what the Irish government has done is it has, and this is all, of course, assuming that the deal is ratified by the uh, by the House of Commons at Westminster and the European Parliament. Though the latter, I think, is a good deal more certain than the former. But uh, essentially, I think what what Ireland has done, or what the Franklin and the Irish government have done, is that they have traded the the kind of bulletproof, copper-fastened nature of the previous backstop arrangements with, uh, and they've they've traded those for something which, in theory, and according to the letter of the agreement, the North could vote itself out of, but in practice is uh, is very unlikely to do. So I think they can reasonably claim that they have ensured that in all likelihood uh, there, there will be no hardening of the border in Ireland for the foreseeable future. And clearly, I suppose one of the signs that they're doing that on terms that they would regard as favourable is the fact that the DUP uh, have taken such umbrage at it. So do I take it from that, Pat, that the fact that the DUP have not gone along with this deal is in some odd way uh, a success for the Taoiseach? Well, I think he would have been, I think he would have preferred had the DUP seen their way to support us in that it would certainly make its passage through the House of Commons a lot easier if it had the DUP votes and the DUP persuasion of any wavering ERG votes. But at the same time, it is a sign, I suppose, that Dublin has got most of what Dublin wanted. And uh, if if the DUP are unhappy with it, it clearly means that they haven't got what, what they wanted. And so to look at the thing, if you can, from the DUP's point of view, I think it's fair to say that it certainly does involve the erection of some barriers between Northern Ireland and the rest of the United Kingdom that weren't there previously. And that is, of course, you know, central to the DUP's objections to it. Now, that might not uh, overly upset people in in Ireland, might not overly upset the Irish government, uh, but because they have achieved what they want in terms of no hardening of the border. But um, it's certainly, uh, it certainly, I think, will be an issue for some people in Northern Ireland. And and can I ask you just in relation to that then, in relation to the DUP, this is not a great week for the DUP. Sam McBride's book about the Cash for Ash scandal is out. There's internal tensions. And now they have, in Dennis's words, in the interpretation of the Conservative Party, their allies in the Conservative Party up to now, overplayed their hand. I think that's a fair analysis, to be honest. I mean, one of the things that comes up again and again here when you talk to people, you know, looking in at this from the outside is why didn't the DUP back Theresa May's deal? Uh, And I guess only they can answer that. But they have certainly ended up at this stage of proceedings. And it's again, assuming that the deal is passed, they've ended up with a situation which is on their own judgment of it, certainly less desirable by some distance, I think, than Theresa May's uh, uh, Theresa May's deal was. 
Pat, uh, finally, can I ask you this? If this deal is passed in Westminster at the weekend and goes onwards towards a towards a, a, a final a finale, I suppose, uh, by October 31st, can we expect a, a general election here in Ireland before Christmas? Ha, right, well... Um, I, I mean, I did a column uh, last week in the paper saying that the prospect of a deal, uh, the prospect of a deal on Brexit, which had suddenly appeared last week, did raise the prospect of a general election in Ireland. I think, you know, that no general election was possible in Ireland until there was a resolution of Brexit. If there is a resolution of, uh, of Brexit, and we now know on what terms it would happen if it is, is to take place, so if the House of Commons votes in favour of this, then a general election comes front and centre in terms of the Taoiseach's considerations uh, at home. How will he jump on that? I think if this deal is received well at home, and I expect it probably will be, then it offers Leo Varadkar a a bit of a Brexit bounce. Uh, At a time in November, say, which is likely to be more advantageous to uh, available alternatives in the early part of next year. But it still requires an effort of will by the Taoiseach to risk his office, which is something that very few Taoiseach have been willing to do. Okay, thanks. We'll leave it there, Pat. The line got very dodgy, but we'll attempt to clear that up. Yeah, I think maybe the Taoiseach should run on a, on a platform of better broadband in Brussels, I think, think in future. Listen, thanks. We're going to talk again very soon. And that's it for today's podcast. The way things are going, we'll be back again in your feed very, very soon. Thanks to Pat and Dennis for joining us. Thanks also to our producer, Declan. Remember, you can subscribe to us on Apple and Spotify on Acast or whatever your preferred podcast provider might be. You can find us on irishtimes.com slash podcast as well. And you can mail me at hlinehan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter. Until the next time, thanks for listening. It's time to focus on what matters. Nourish your mind with Headspace and the Irish Times. Headspace connects you to yourself. The Irish Times connects you to the truth. Headspace gives you a healthy perspective. The Irish Times gives you a wider perspective. Take a premium digital subscription with the Irish Times and enjoy 12 months free access to the Headspace app. Pause. Breathe. Focus. Subscribe at irishtimes.com. Terms and conditions apply.